So we close our look at Second Thessalonians as um, a, an encouragement for us to live in this world as believers and to work wisely. Uh, of course, the, the young churches of Thessalonica, these young believers, uh, they didn't, it's not like uh, God's enemy took a break and said, well, you know, they don't, they're not really solid in their faith. Let's just take it easy on them. No, they faced a lot of persecution, a lot of challenges, and they, they had some pretty uh, ornery personalities uh, within their fellowship as well, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so one of the principles that, well, we kind of look at principles of, of that, that fall under the idea of working wisely as we have come to different passages within 2 Thessalonians. And, and this principle that we look at here this morning made me think of a comic strip that I grew up with uh, in Tennessee. And, and um, from the looks of our at-risk service here this morning, I wonder if it's a common one in Indiana, Indiana as well. It's the, the pluggers comic strip. And the, the characters of the comic strip pluggers are called pluggers is because they're just blue-collar folks. They're represented by animals. I don't understand that. But they're just blue-collar folks that are just kind of getting by, just plugging along, plugging one day in front of another. And, and they're pretty proud of their work, and they're pretty um, good at it. Uh, you know, this uh, one reminds us of what a plugger's version is of heavy metal. The next one here talks about how pluggers don't need a key to the executive bathroom. It's always available. And the last one here is probably my favorite, the pluggers version of the stimulus package, which is a dozen donuts and a large coffee. That's all he needs. That's enough stimulation right there for work. The principle that we look at today is that, that fits with working wisely is keep plugging away. Just keep plugging away. Perseverance. And we'll see how those within the body of, that this letter was written to needed to be challenged to just work. Just keep plugging away. Do work and do it well. And others that needed to be challenged, keep plugging away, loving others. Loving those that, that maybe aren't listening. Keep plugging away requires trusting that persistence leads to reward. We don't uh, keep plugging away if our goal is to do as little work as possible and still reap the reward. One of you who's a small business owner uh, shared with me how they were really amazed uh, at how a young new employee working for them after one day of work uh, wanted to know at the end of the day, wanted to know if they could get an advance on their paycheck. Made me think about the sign that's over at Domino's Pizza. You know, it says, um, stimulus, ch what, stimulus checks provided every two weeks. Apply within. Or the fortune cookie that said, um, get a job in two weeks, you will come into some money. Just the advantage of plugging away. And I want, to, I want to tell you, those of you who are retired, I'm, I don't want to make you think, as this, as this passage talks, talks so much about the value of hard work, 
I don't want to make you think at all that because you don't go to work somewhere else and work for somebody else every day that that makes you any less valuable or anything like that. Your plugging away has earned the opportunity to do your work as you see fit, where you see fit, led by the Holy Spirit in relationship with him. I read a joke about a, a site foreman that was dealing with some particularly lazy workers. And he decided to figure out which one of them was the laziest. And so he decided, he, he came to them one day at the beginning of the workday, and he says, I've got a special job for somebody, and it involves doing no work at all. It's the easiest job you can ever imagine. It's going to go to one of you that wants it the most, so raise your hand if you want it. Looking to see who was going to raise their hand first. Nine guys raised their hands out of ten, and the one guy that he thought for sure was going to raise his hand didn't. So he's kind of like confused about this, and he, was, he, he goes to the one guy that didn't raise his hand, and he says, I don't understand. This is offering a job that, that absolutely involves no work at all. Don't you want it? And he says, yeah, I do, but raising my hand just takes too much work. <laughs> we use the day, phrase today rather than maybe keep plugging away of grind it. Just keep grinding, just keep grinding. Uh, these verses here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 describe a major concern that Paul had that was specific to this church in Thessalonica. And it was, it was a problem that he saw, he saw evidence of it and, and kind of um, hints of it when he was teaching them and discipling these believers. And he also spoke to it when he wrote his first letter, and he was counseling the leaders of the church in how to deal with it. And here in this, third, this second letter, this kind of third stage here, he kind of brings the hammer down and says, this is how you deal with these people. And so we pick up in verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Then we see here in verses 7 through 9, he kind of goes into how uh, he and his team were led to behave in a certain way while they were among them because they saw this sinful tendency within uh, these new believers. So he says in verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but to toil and labor, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, and we, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate now just let me stop there before we go to verse 10. Uh, Jesus said much, and the Apostle Paul says much, especially like in 2 Corinthians, on the fact that those who teach are, are worthy to be supported as they teach in order that they might be able to focus on teaching and such. And the Apostle Paul shares here where he, he and his team choose, chose to set that aside in order to set a specific example for the people these new believers in Thessalonica. Have you ever heard of the term a tent maker missionary? 
uh, we use that term to describe a missionary that maybe uh, they're going to a country that doesn't allow Christian missionaries to come into their land. So they go in as a doctor or they go in as a nurse or they go in as an engineer or um, an agronomist or something like that. The government will allow them to come in, but while they're there, they're sharing the gospel as a missionary as well. We call that a tent maker because the Apostle Paul was a tent maker. He made tents. And specifically what he would have been doing here when he was ministering in Thessalonica is supporting himself and his team supporting themselves as they made tents so that they could support themselves and do the ministry here. But he shares with them even what, in verse 10, a principle that he was communicating to them, that he was teaching to them as he saw this tendency among them. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And continuing in verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And then he the closing verses are in verses 16 through 18. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in, in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is a sign of genuous, genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You know, sometimes lazy people... Uh, happen to know that other people are going to supply what they need if they can't supply it themselves. Uh, many times, they can almost become addicted to leisure. Uh, and when someone is addicted to something, very often people become resources. And relationships simply become avenues for that person to get what they want. I heard a, uh, another story about a, a young husband, a newlywed husband, and his wife was very distraught because she marries him and finds out he has absolutely no plans on getting a J-O-B. Uh, he's very happy to lay on the couch and sleep his days away. So this young wife says to him, I am ashamed of the way that we live. My father pays our rent. My mother buys our groceries. My aunt bought us a car. I am so ashamed. And so as her husband just kind of rolls over on the couch and turns his back to her, he says at the same time, well, you should be ashamed. That worthless brother of yours hasn't even given us a cent. Like I said, sometimes when people get to the point where they're almost addicted to leisure, like when they can be addicted to other things, people become resources rather than relationships. And this problem of idleness is what these readers were dealing with specifically. But there's also some principles for us to understand correction. 
can understand how we need to receive correction, can understand how we should be giving correction to one another in a way that exhorts one another to grow. And those principles are here within this passage. So from, from our, first, our verses here, first of all, we see to beware of stubborn disobedience. To beware of stubborn disobedience. So here, Paul finally comes to the place where he says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. This term, idleness, it's a military term that means disorderly conduct. Now, you might be thinking, how does idleness and disorderly conduct, what do those have to do with each other? Well, remember, Paul had been instructing. He had been commanding. It's almost like a commanding officer saying, get up and get moving. Get up and get moving. It's a disorderliness among them. Think of how an idle soldier is disorderly when the whole troop has been told to march, and he's just standing there idle. Or we have a term in our day called marching to the beat of your own drum. And for the idle person, I guess their beat goes boom. Boom. You know, they're really, really slow. What this is not speaking about, it is not speaking about someone who is unable to work. Notice it says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. This is not intended to give us ammo to use in denying someone of what they clearly need when the Holy Spirit is laying it on our hearts that we need to help that person. Uh, certainly even Jesus said, that, or it was in the book of James, it said uh, that, that a brother is not loving someone else if they see someone in need of food or in need of warmth and they say, bless you, be warm, be fed as you go your way. That's not doing them any good. Certainly there's a lot in this passage that explains many problems in our society for sure. There's many people that feel entitled to have their needs taken care of by others, especially if they feel like something has happened to them that has made it impossible for them. It feels impossible for them to, to make a way on their own. There's a lot of young adults who aren't prepared to launch and provide for themselves. And this passage has some answers for that. The rule of thumb here is pretty helpful uh, for when someone is just not willing to work, willingness to work. You know, virtually every culture has said things about idleness. The Romans said, by doing nothing, men learn to do evil. Jewish rabbis taught, if, a, a, if he who does not teach his son a trade teaches him to be a thief, and then there's the great Wayne Gretzky that said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. What does that make a hockey team? Losers. Uh, plain and simple, if they don't take shots. It may be that Paul saw, like I mentioned, this tendency in some of the new believers to shirk responsibilities. In fact, we know that he did. We know that that's why he lived the way that he lived while he was there. The thought could have been, as we see uh, Paul focus a lot, and we know this is pretty certain that this was the thought among them, as Paul focused a lot on when Jesus would be returning, when the day of the Lord would be. 
that the thought that was probably on their minds, well, if Jesus is coming back, what is the point of storing up for winter? What is the point of planting my fields? What is the point of worrying about providing for tomorrow? Well, guess what? Tomorrow had come. And, and months of tomorrows and a years of tomorrow had come. And they didn't have anything to provide for themselves. And now they were leaning on the good graces of their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's possible that some of them kind of thought of themselves as, well, I'm, I'll just, now that I have this new knowledge about the Messiah, I'll just become a teacher. As, as they didn't see this in Paul, but the, it would have been common for teachers to kind of travel through the area and just kind of earn their living off of offerings that they would take from one uh, group of people to another. And, and maybe some of them kind of thought, well, I'm just going to be that in my life. And, and I'm just going to allow, as I bless people with my knowledge, I'm just going to allow them to take care of me. What is clear here is that Paul had been trying to help the Thessalonian church deal with this temptation. And Paul sought to impact their lives through his teaching and his example, his modeling this principle before them and in his coaching. Now, the reason why I say those three words is because I think it's an excellent opportunity <clears throat> to point out a, a frame of mind, a paradigm that I use, and I've shared this with you before, to kind of help me organize my discipleship efforts in people's lives. Or that I, I encourage you to kind of think in terms of, okay, if I want to grow in a certain area of following Christ, what do I need from others in order to help me to grow in this area? Uh, maybe there needs to be a solid foundation of teaching laid. Um, I'm, I'm working with a group of guys, and, and um, I'm just so excited about it as we learn together. And, uh, well, I'm discipling them. That's kind of what I have to get past. Just be willing to say, I'm discipling them. I don't know if you're familiar with, with that temptation, but I'm discipling them in what it means to be a godly husband as I continue to grow in that as well. But, you know, so one of the first questions I ask is, what have you been taught do you know about Ephesians 5 and about what it means to love your wife as Christ loves the church? Is there biblical teaching there? Has that foundation been laid? And then the next question I would ask is, where have you seen this type of life, this type of, of, of uh, husbandry played out? Where have you seen this at work? Have you seen this demonstrated before you? Because that's, that's an important part of growing in, in following Christ in specific areas. And, and, and having that established, now it's like, okay, it's then we're coming together and we're, I'm going to coach you in this. Because you want to play the game and, and I'm going to coach you in it and, and this is how it's going to happen. So we see this in Paul's relationship with this church. Um, notice the three-layer discipleship is described in this passage. He's teaching them. He has taught them in this. Uh, you can refer back to 1 Thessalonians, his first letter to them in chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, where he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Paul had laid that foundation of teaching with them, and he moved into demonstrating what that looks like. 
modeling that. And we see him, that's what he's describing here in verses 7 through 9 when he says, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We demonstrated this for you because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But we toil with toil and labor. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. He was demonstrating this before them. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says, selfish leaders use people to build up their support, and they are always claiming their rights. A truly dedicated leader will use his rights to build up the people and will lay aside his rights and privileges for the sake of others. And this is what the Apostle Paul did in this context as the Lord leaded him to do so. But now we see in this letter, he is now coaching them. He's saying, okay, this is what I'm telling you to do. He's saying, don't associate with those who justify disorderly behavior. See this principle of having laid that foundation of teaching, having demonstrated it for them, leads up to them, him saying specifically, this is how you need to deal with this specific situation. Where he says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. At this point, Paul's coaching them amounts to commanding them how to respond. This is similar to a coach standing on the sideline during a game and calling out a specific play, telling his team to pull off this specific play that he had already taught them, that he had already demonstrated for them in practice. That's what's going on here. The command is to the Christians to live by biblical convictions. They are to draw away from the disorderly believers who have resisted correction. And this is in response to the stubborn brothers and sisters who heard the command. And if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul had already taught them this principle. And they responded with, but that doesn't apply to me. Or, you know, as sometimes kids can be this way, well, let's really see if they mean it. Right? And beware of stubborn disobedience. Do you remember the day when uh, you could pick up the phone and it was attached to a cord and you could dial four letters, 411, right? And you'd get information. And you could say, I'm looking for this number, right? I'm looking for the phone number for this. Well, I heard a story about a man who, he was, a, he was interested in this uh, arts guild that had to do with the theater. It had to do with uh, all things theater, and the, it was called Theater Arts. And so he gets on the phone for information for a on, and he says, I want the number for Theater Arts. And the operator on the other line says, I'm sorry, sir, we don't have any listing for Theater Arts. He says, no, 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 I said Theater Arts. I know it exists. I know there's a number for it. Uh, sir, you're mistaken. We do not have a listing for Theater Arts says, no, theater, T-H-E-A-T-R-E, theater. She says, sir, I'm very sorry, but that is not how you spell Theodore. <laughs> Folks, stubbornness, just for the sake of, being, sake of being stubborn, is not a spiritual gift. All right? And, and I can be as guilty 
as others of it at times. We are to stand firm and hold fast to the gospel, as we've seen as in these passages. We are to be patient and enduring in our love with one another. And we're also to draw ourselves away from those who are given to disorderliness in their conduct, stubbornness in obeying, making excuses for living however their flesh desires to live. And when it comes to being exhorted by others, we should listen to them and be ready to change. Second idea here is something we should be stubborn about. Be stubborn about doing good work. Be stubborn about doing good work. He speaks both to those idle believers and to those people that have been taking care of them. Telling them, I believe, be stubborn about doing good work. For he says, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, this disorderliness that we talked about. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. This play on words in verse 11 is intended, intended by Paul in the original language, that they're not busy, but they're being busy bodies. Rather than being busy and at their own work, they're causing trouble for others. It's clear what Paul is referring to by these sort of people in his letter to Timothy, where he tells them, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. He tells them this in 1 Timothy 5.13. Isaac Watts says this, you know, you think that an idle hands don't have anything to do. But Isaac Watts wrote this, Satan finds some mischief still for idle hands to do. Satan finds some mischief still for idle hands to do. The idea is hands are never completely idle. If they're left in Satan's hands, uh, he'll find mischief for them to do. Or as the Bible Knowledge Commentary says, instead of tending to their own business of earning a living, they were meddling in the business of others. I appreciated a story that was shared by a friend of mine, Bruce Jones, who's an associate pastor in the area, uh, retired now, um, how he had a, a man come in from off the street, and it was obvious that this guy needed to take better care of himself, and he was down and out and things like that. And um, the man said, I, I need some money. And uh, I'm willing to, you know, I'll work for it if you want me to. And that got Bruce thinking. And he said, you know what? That sounds great. We just had the youth come back from a trip. And those church vans need to be cleaned out. Uh, so, you know, we can get you a vacuum and a garbage can. And you can go out there and, and clean the church vans for us and, and come back in. And we'll, we'll um, you know, pay you something for your work. He watched the man go out with the garbage can and the vacuum and open the doors of the van, look inside of it, set the things down, and walk away. And, and that, that's the idea there. It's a not willingness to work uh, being illustrated there. Those who continue to justify living a fleshly life, of me and it, it often leads to they, they're putting their hands into uh, Satan's camp to tell them what to do. It often ends up in meddling and gossip as it was for the Thessalonians 
They are commanded and exhorted to mind their own affairs and take care of themselves. And those believers who had been providing for them, they face a different kind of temptation. And they're told, do not grow weary in doing good. Even if you have been burned, even if you've been providing for these guys and, and you're finally down to the end and, and you realize, I've been treating this person like an idol. I've been giving and giving and giving and they're not changing. Hey, as you walk away from helping this person out, don't grow weary from doing good, he tells them. After setting them free from helping these disorderly people in their church, Paul still challenges them to keep their heart tender to the Lord's leading. I remember one of my professors, he kept on his wall a receipt for a cashier's check. And it was on his bulletin board with a thumbtack there. And it was for an amount of money, a pretty large amount of money, that required a cashier's check to, to give to a friend of his. And he gave it to his friend with the understanding that his friend was going to pay the money back. But he never did. And his friend basically, he basically, after a while, he just didn't see him again. But he took that, that receipt from that cashier's check and put it on his bulletin board, not to sit there and be like, yeah, you know what? When I see him again, I'm going to bring this up, or I'm going to remember he owes me that money. He told me, that receipt is there to remind me this was an offering of worship to the Lord. I'm not trying to change my friend by giving him that money. This was an offering of worship to the Lord for the Lord to do with what he desires. We're still to keep our hearts tender toward the Lord leading us to help people as an offering of worship to the Lord. It's, it may not change that person, but we're to not grow weary in doing good. Those spirit-led believers who are dealing with these fleshly behavior of others, they must stay fervent, be stumbered about doing good work. Even when brothers and sisters refuse to repent, you must be stubborn in your love for the disobedient also. Our third idea here, be stubborn in your love for the disobedient. Paul writes, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. The word obey here when he says if anyone does not obey what we say, it, it, it describes a doorkeeper. Or you, you know, think of a butler, who, you know, in the, if somebody's rich enough to have somebody to answer the door for them. The idea that is they're a servant. They go to the door for their master. And they see what the person needs, and then they go from that person and they carry that, you know, maybe they're carrying that message back to the man of the house or, or, their, or the lady of the house or they're, or they're um, going and getting someone for them. This disobedience is basically like hearing what they're being told and then shutting the door and being like, I don't have to listen to you. He's saying if anyone does not obey, does not carry out these orders, what we say in this letter we're looking at a three-strike scenario here, folks. These folks had been warned when Paul was present, and he'd been trying to teach them away from this mentality that he had seen 
uh, going on. He had tried to display a type of lifestyle of, of providing for himself even while doing ministry and, and teaching the word. And they were warned in a previous letter, 1 Thessalonians. And now they're being warned in this second letter and their leadership is being coached. This is how you deal with this person. When he says, uh, take note, he's saying, notice who these people are. In other words, div- like, mark out, folks, you guys, he's talking to you. He's talking to you. It doesn't indicate public shaming or anything that they might be ashamed. Um, but, and and I'll, I'll get to what I think he is talking about here. But interestingly, he says, do not regard him as an enemy but warn him as a brother. The New Testament commentary says he makes it clear that the offender is still to be regarded as one of themselves. He has erred indeed, and his sin must be brought home to him, but this is to be done entirely in a spirit of love with a tender concern for the welfare of the one being disciplined. Now, those of you who are familiar with, say, Matthew 18, the process that Jesus talks about, or 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul commands the church in Corinth about uh, casting out a brother from their, um, from their fellowship because basic, those situations are basically described a situation where a person is so unrepentant that it's kind of like, you know, we wonder if the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. We wonder if why it is that you're not feeling the conviction that you should be here is because you don't have a relationship with the Lord. This is a different type of situation. Here we see them to be treated as a brother who simply needs to feel hungry and repent. And it may be that they have the, this idea of have nothing to do with him is stop helping him. Stop helping him. Let him be hungry. Maybe that the shame that they need to have is they're gonna, their bills are going to go unpaid. Um, they might lose their place um, of dwelling. Another writer says the design of divine discipline is always to produce repentance, not division. All church correction situations are unique. I personally don't think any church correction situations should amount to someone being kicked out of the church or, or banned from hearing the gospel. We, we don't tell unbelievers, even if in a situation where we think this person must not be a believer, we don't tell them, you may not come and hear the gospel, right? And I am pleased, and I was pleased when I came here to Harvest, that Harvest has a history of loving correction. Um, Harvest has a history and still does, of, of working with people in love and, and keeping an eye on ourselves as we do so. You ever, maybe I'm just kind of impatient when I turn on a stove eye or something like that. I don't want to wait, an electric eye, wait to make sure it's heating up. You ever just put your hand on there? Just like, is that working? Is that working? Out. Yes, it is, you know. You know, once, once it starts getting hot enough, you're not just going to leave your hand there. You're going to pull it back. The rest of your body is going to be like, what are you doing, hand? You're hurting us, right? You're not going to sit there and, and just leave it on there and be like, well, I guess, I guess that's no good anymore and just get a cleaver out and chop it off. That's, that's the idea here. The body of Christ should be the same. Unrepentant sin is a serious matter for the body of Christ. 
and it needs to be corrected and not ignored. And it's about like the body pulling that part away and saying, hey, something's wrong here. Or as Warren Wiersbe says, sin in the life of a believer always affects the rest of the church. As members of his body, we belong to each other and we affect each other. The bad example of a few saints can destroy the devotion and hinder the service of the rest of the church, end quote. When God's church and biblical correction are ignored, we need to love the person enough to help them feel the significance of their sin. That's what it's about. But we must continue to love them as a brother or sister rather than being angry or treating them as an enemy. We're to enjoy walking by the Spirit rather than just carrying out the desires of the flesh. And what, what does this look like when we exhort one another? It looks like someone saying, Brother, the fleshliness that I'm seeing that you are practicing makes me concerned for you. And I love you enough and I want you to enjoy walking by the Spirit. At the same time, we've got to keep an eye on our own hearts that we're not being fleshly. This is what we're warned against in the letter to the Galatians. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Galatians 6.1 Having given these instructions about confronting certain brothers and sisters, is it any surprise that the letter concludes in this way? Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. That's what they need. That's what we need. And also in verse 18 when he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. He was talking to all of them. No matter which side of this particular issue they stood on as he does for us. Let's bow our heads.